Welcome to The Teaching Curve, a podcast exploring the pedagogy of global politics and international studies. Produced under the auspices of the Innovative Pedagogy Initiative of the International Studies Association and made available through ISA's Professional Resource Center. I'm Jamie Free, Associate Provost and Professor of Global Politics at Bridgewater College. Each episode of The Teaching Curve is a conversation with an engaged and innovative teacher of global issues. The goal? To celebrate and inspire pedagogical creativity by thinking collaboratively about the nuances of helping others understand the complexities that delineate their relationships with others, some of which they are aware of before they land in our courses, and many of which they are not. Facilitating this understanding of relations, international or otherwise, is a noble exercise, helping citizens comprehend and manage their actions with agency and forethought, or at least giving them the potential to do so. Today's conversation with Dr. Jenny Lobosh, Associate Professor in the Department of Women and Gender Studies at the University of Delaware in the United States. Jenny teaches courses and researches on feminist and gender theory, human trafficking, interpretive research methodologies, and teaching using non-traditional texts. Our conversation today explores the concept of a learning community as a way to understand the work that takes place in a course. The importance of being transparent with students about both the work you ask of them and the power relationships behind the ask. And ways to teach with confidence, even in the face of challenges to your authority as a teacher. So Jenny Lobosh, welcome to The Teaching Curve. So glad you could make the time for us to share with us today. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks, Jamie. So the first question I always ask people, and it helps us situate them um, for the audience, is to tell us a little bit about your institution. And the best way to do that is by telling us about the people who make us teachers, who are the students. So uh, tell me a little bit about the students at University of Delaware. Sure. So the University of Delaware is a research one, if we're still using that terminology, um, it's, it's the state flagship, which isn't saying much because Delaware is a pretty small state. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's the, the state flagship of Delaware. And a lot of our students come from Delaware and a lot of our students, uh, most of the ones who don't come from Delaware come from Maryland or Pennsylvania or New York or New Jersey. Um, you know, we do have international students, of course, and occasionally we'll get someone from a state that isn't in the mid-Atlantic, but that's pretty much our student body. Our student body is fairly white and fairly wealthy, um, both to an extent that honestly surprised me when I got to UB. Um, but we're making, you know, big efforts to diversify the student body at least in terms of race and ethnicity. I don't know how much about income. So, and the, are the students that come into the women and gender studies mm -hmm. majors, departments, is, are there anything particular about them? All of our intro classes and a fair number of our kind of mid-level classes, um, we have worked hard to cross-list them with other departments, but more importantly, they count for um, university and college breadth and multicultural requirements. So the vast majority of my students are not women in gender studies majors or minors, at least when I first get them. Right. And then I think one reason they like putting me in the intro classes is over the course of the semester, I, I managed to, you know, my yield is always like three or four per class. Um, we suck them in, they, you know, I, I joke the first day of class, you know, you're not majors yet. <laughs> Um, but 
women and gender studies like international relations, in my mind at least, is inherently interdisciplinary. If it's not interdisciplinary, you're doing it wrong. Mm. You're not doing it, honestly. And so um, I think in my ideal framework, students double major in it. Again, not because it's not enough in itself, but because its power comes from bringing this lens to the disciplinary mm. area of your particular interest, whether right. that's politics or health or education or what have you. And so we've purposely set up the major and the minor so that it's very doable, you know, as a double major in four mm. years or in three years if you're bringing in some credits. Um, so yeah, that's, <laughs> that's all to say um, our students, um, I think the biggest difference is that um, I think our students generally um, show more gender diversity, not in terms of there are not many men who um, major in women and gender studies, although there have been some, mm -hmm. um, but we are more likely, I think, than maybe some other majors to have students who identify as non-binary or genderqueer or agender. Mm -hmm. So tell me what what's your what's your favorite topic to teach? Like if you have what's your day that you say this one I rock I love it. What <laughs> Gosh, that's hard because um, it's very much a like when the spirit moves me kind of thing, you know. And so I can never necessarily predict what's going to work and what isn't you know every class is different every group of students but also mm -hmm. i'm different what i yeah. bring to the room you know and so there's there's no single class where i can think no matter what i'm gonna rock it because i've had that thought before and you know and it, i have not always rocked it yep um so you know that's that's one thing as you know i've grown as a teacher recognizing sometimes even my favorite topic isn't going to land and it happens you know it's it's okay well it, i mean i think that's a huge point because it's a relationship every time oh, you yeah. walk into the class it's yes. a relationship of an exchange of energy between you and the students and if so it's much. all one way it's not going to work anyway yes. yes no that's and that's, that's really what, I, that relationality, I think, is the core, at the core of who I am as a teacher. You know, I am in a relationship with my students, but also, you know, as much or more importantly, I'm facilitating, you know, a community, a set of relations that we're all in. Mm -hmm. And so in the course objectives and the student learning outcomes or whatever we're calling them this year. Uh, for most of my classes, I have one that um, at first blush, I think, and to a lot of people might sound super corny um, or like it's like meaningless. And that's that students will learn to um, engage collaboratively and invest in one another's learning. You know, and, and that could, you know, it could be just hokier, you know, but yep. it, it's it's become so meaningful to me, especially after this experience of the pandemic and, you know, being online and all, all so forth. You know, it's, it's really, I think, brought back to me 
why learning in a community is so important, whether that community is virtual or face-to-face. Fair enough. Fair enough. I tell them like, there's a difference between listening to a podcast, you know, downloading it and reading the great books on your own. Mm. Right. And paying for a college class, you know, and yeah, some of it's the credential, but you know, hopefully I'm not so cynical to say that that's all of it. And in fact, like what, what matters and what they'll remember, I think is the learning community. That's the best. I mean, when they're invested in it, not just for what they have to remember, but they're invested in it because they're learning in a metacognitive way. Yes. How to learn, how to engage these topics so that when they go on and do it after school, they they're still able to take some of those still some of those techniques that they're using in your class and apply them to being a competent adult in our society. Absolutely. And when you when you think about learning as being part of and contributing to and participating in a community, I also think it changes other things about your mindset. You know, it's it's important to prepare for class and do the reading and all of that, not just because the grade or because I'm making you do a you know, reading journal, which I do, you know, or because you'll look bad in front of your students, but you know, because you want to bring something to the table. You know, you want to show up to the potluck with something. Right. You know, and when no one does that, it's a lousy class, no matter how good of a job I do, you know, yeah. and so you know, there it's worth investing, but also, you know, when you're participating in a learning community and you can develop a sense of trust, so much can happen, you know, we can make mistakes and it can be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's when learning is possible. So did you have experiences as a student that contributed to this approach of yours that that you're hoping to convey to the students you're teaching? So the funny thing is um, my least successful classes as a professor have been when I've just modeled what my undergrad professors did, <laughs> um, in part because they were very good teachers. Oh, okay. Kind of horrible. I, I loved them and I, I learned a lot from a number of them, but most of them, you know, the expectations for pedagogy are very different now than they were 20, 25 years ago. Thank um, goodness. Yeah, no say. kidding. No kidding. And so, you know, technique wise, I do very little that my undergraduate professors did. Um, which isn't to say that I didn't learn from them because I did. Right. And, and, and what I, I think the thing that I got from a number of them, especially my philosophy professors um, and, you know, some of my international studies professors too, um, they were doing what they were doing because they cared, you know, not just about students, although they did, but their topics were so exciting and interesting to the, it mattered. And so that enthusiasm, Mm. I think, you know, if if we're really interested in and dedicated to what we're doing, if we find it fascinating, you know, that excuses all sorts of bad teaching, you know, or makes up, you know, it that students get it. And yep. 
you know, I in in my in my student evaluations, which I think are bogus, incidentally, um, the whole construct of student evals. But regardless, <laughs> in the narrative comments, um, the the thing that I get every class every semester is she is passionate, and they notice that I'm passionate about my subject matter, mm. and I'm really passionate about them as learners and I care about them as people mm -hmm. and so you know I'm still teaching as a craft that I'm still very much working on and figuring out and getting wrong and getting right um but you know if those three things are getting across my students are learning something no I think that's really true in, in the sense that even if they're not if if they didn't come in with a certain amount of passion for the topic they're there before a general education credit right. they're there for um, because it fit their schedule or, or whatever. Right. Yeah, which There's is again, way... most of my students. Yeah, yeah. And and that's a, a, there's a substitute, there's a transitive property of passion where oh, yeah. you get a little bit going with them and they say, well, I must be, there must be something here because look at that, that look yes. at how much this person cares. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Nerding out is contagious. So uh, in terms of, that is there some technique or tactic that you find that really helps you bring that helps you teach a, a, something that you've decided over the last yeah. over your teaching career that you've decided you're going to work on these days you're going to implement yeah um so i think the thing that stayed consistent besides you know being passionate and all of that the thing that stayed consistent with who i've been since you know my baby teaching days um, is that I'm really committed to transparent pedagogy or teaching. And that means that, you know, I, I'm not terribly different at all in the classroom as I am outside or, you know, I'm, what they see is what they get. This, I, I remember I once, I was teaching as a grad student at Minnesota and I was talking to a student after class and I think, I was teaching in jeans and a you know hoodie or something and being very um, informal in my language, shall we say? And you know, <laughs> I told the student, you know, oh, when I have my PhD, when I'm a real professor, you know, I'll I'll be totally different. And they were like, no, you're not. <laughs> they were right, right. Um, so I think the best relationships are honest relationships. Hmm. You know, and every, I think every teacher has their own level of what, like, own idea of what level of disclosure is comfortable for them, you know, of what they think is appropriate boundary wise and what students need to know. And, mm -hmm. and you know, that, you know, that's a, a matter of taste and preference and comfort. And so, you know, I don't think that my level of honesty with students is right for everybody, right? Um, but if nothing else, you know, I tell my students what we're doing. I tell them why we're doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, I take them through my decision making. Mm. If something's not working in class, I'll stop and say, this doesn't seem to be working. Why? And we'll talk about it. Or, you know, I'll say, hey, the next time I teach this, you know, do you think we should stick with like, you know, the I, I try to, you know, demystify Oz and show the scaffolding, you know, bo both you know, for 
meta-theoretical reasons too, you yeah, know, yeah. because I want my classroom to be a place where, you know, a lot of this BS is demystified and everything. But I also want them to know all of their other professors are making these choices, whether it's mm -hmm. a politics class or a math class, you know, we, we have reasons for why we do things. And I tell them there might not always be good reasons. You know, maybe we're doing it because that's what we've always seen or because we were tired today or, you know, I mean, they're yeah. always, you know, but, but there are still reasons that, you know, what they're experiencing is the set of lots of different choices. You know, um, and so, you know, I told my students, as long as you ask respectfully, yep. you know, you can ask me why we're doing anything and I'll tell you my actual reason. Well, listen, it helps them to own their project. I mean, they're in there investing yeah. energy um, yeah. and, and they should do it more than for, for more reasons. They should at least have the opportunity to buy in fully on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, how the university works and how classes work yep. and how professors work. This is useful information for students to have. Yeah. You know, because otherwise, you know, it's just all magic or someone out to get them or, you know, I don't know what, you know. Or a thoughts, competition in some way between them right. and us or, you know, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, I. I tell my students with all the power and politics things, you know, it's not a democratic classroom. I have more power. I'm always going to have more power. I'm okay with that, you yeah. know. Um, and and I'm I'm not going to pretend like I'm not exercising it. Like I'm not the person who's in charge and responsible ultimately, and who's going to be giving out grades or someday I may go to specification grader. But whatever. Even if I weren't giving grades. I'm still an authority figure, you know, and pretending like that's not the case, I think would be irresponsible of me. And so it, but, you know, again, at the same time, we can recognize the real differences in power and the real mm. hierarchies in the classroom and still be honest about it and still mm -hmm. think about, okay, how do we make this classroom best function? You know, how do we have a community that's best for everybody? But Jenny, I mean, we were, we were just talking earlier about how gender in the classroom can sometimes affect that power dynamic. And so if I could imagine, and I have just about every privilege our society provides, but sure. I could imagine that there are times when, especially as a young professor in jeans and a hoodie, that yeah. you're going to have trouble with some segment of that class. And I'm, you know, I'm very interested in how we are training the early career scholars, the doctoral students who right. maybe just have a few years as a TA and are walking into a classroom somewhere. Do you have any, um, I don't know, tips for those students to, to somehow gain that confidence? I mean, it, right. it can't just be a personality thing. It's got to right. be no, something right. that you you're can right. learn, you know? You know, th thinking about what can you do to signal to all of your students that they're welcome, including the ones who seem to have the most privilege or who yeah. might be, you know, most likely to, you know, question you or try to undermine your authority. And so I, I think every teacher probably has to come up with some of their own ways you know, that work for them for how they're going to handle this, you know, mm -hmm. is it going to be, 
demonstrating how incredibly smart you are. <laughs> you know, is it going to be, you know, I mean, some role playing, honestly, is not necessarily yeah. bad. Practicing, you know, how you're going to handle, um, you know, whether it's thinking through or with some friends, play acting, you know, okay, how do you handle the obnoxious student? Um, mm -hmm. And then, yeah, getting some intelligence, figuring out, okay, you know, how have other, you know, instructors at my institution experienced this? How did they handle it? How is it handled higher up? You know, yep. what kind of support can they offer me? I think those are important things to know. Well, and I should say the, the other key thing is, you know, sometimes, you know, when I, when those kind of interactions happen, you know, my reaction, immediate reaction is to, you know, go into dominance mode and, you know, beat my chest, you know, no, I'm the one, you know, Yeah. but when I'm not being as reactive or, you know, if <laughs> I'm in a better place that day or whatever, right. right. Um, I've also found it can be more useful both for me, but also for that student who's challenging me and for everyone watching, right. To realize, you know, I don't have to know everything. And so, you know, yeah, if a student asks me something I haven't thought about, I don't have to pretend like I've thought about it or I have an answer. You know, mm -hmm. I can ask them what they think. I can assign them or someone else to do some more research and get back to us. You right. know, I can, you know, if it's germane to the class, we can have a conversation about it. If it's not germane to the class, you know, and more disruptive, you know, I again I I don't I don't have to have a perfect answer or response right then. And you know, that doesn't mean I'm falling down as a teacher. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, in many ways, those reactions that you just described, what they do is they undermine this uh, attitude towards education that often the students come in with from their K-12 experience, which right. is it's about knowledge, pieces of knowledge, and whoever right. has the most is the person who, no, it's like you said before, it's a collaborative community experience where we're trying to help each other figure some difficult, complicated things out. and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm part of that too, you know? So. Yeah. And one of, the, one of the things I tell my students is that, you know, look, I, I go into each class knowing they're gonna forget the vast majority of the stuff I teach them, you know? So like, that's normal. And if that's true, right, then what's the purpose of this? Mm -hmm. what, what, am I, what am I trying to do if I assume, you know, most of it's gonna go even if they remember it for a few years, you know, either they'll forget or the facts will change and they'll be wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I tell my students is that more than, you know, pieces of content or data or knowledge or whatever, right? More than any of that, I am trying to cultivate in them a disposition. Uh, a way of looking at the world and noticing things. And, you know, specifically, I'm, I'm trying to teach them a either or both a, a poli-sci way and a, a gender studies and gender politics way of noticing certain things. I'm training their spidey senses. Mm -hmm. That's great. Right. So that even, even if they don't remember the exact, um, exact facts that are, you know, about any given topic, right? They'll 
later on they'll get to a situation and all of a sudden you know their spidey sense will start tingling and they'll think wait there's something gendered going on here nice <laughs> right they'll, so it's it's a way of noticing it's a way of interacting with the world and mm. hopefully i've also again given them a sense created some habits you know okay so my spidey sense has gone off i know there's something gendered here what kinds of questions can i ask about it yep what kinds of places could I find information about it? You know, when I go to those places, oh yeah, some of those topics are ringing about, right? That's what I'm trying to leave for. Jenny, that's fantastic. What that's a, I think that's a perfect lesson to end on because it's really about uh, the definition of what a college education can be and what your class can be. So terrific. That's fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing that with us. Absolutely. Thanks for giving me a chance to think about this. With you. The Teaching Curve is made available in the ISA Professional Resource Center under the auspice of the Innovative Pedagogy Initiative. You can send feedback or suggestions for future interviews to teachingcurve at isonet.org. Follow us on Twitter at teachingcurve. And be sure to look out for information coming soon on the next Innovative Pedagogy Conference to be held in Montreal on Tuesday, March 14th, the day before the start of panels at the main ISA convention. Thanks for joining us again on The Teaching Curve. And remember, learn something every time you teach.